Hey guys, this is Jay Shear, host of the Reclamation Society podcast. Today we're discussing Luke Cage episode three. We're going to take a deep dive into what the storytellers are telling us is true and the major and minor themes weaved throughout the episode. As always, this podcast will contain spoilers, so if you haven't seen it yet, maybe don't listen to this episode unless you just don't care about spoilers. Before we get started, I do want to mention that we are doing our annual year-end fundraiser. So we'd love for you to support the Reclamation Society. We are a nonprofit, and all donations are tax-deductible. Donations contribute to the production of our stories, these podcasts, and our blog posts. So visit www.reclamationsociety.org/give to become a supporter. We thank you very much for that. All right, I don't have a guest with me today. I haven't found anybody uh, to co-host the Luke Cage series. So if you'd like to, to discuss the series with me and jump on this podcast, please let me know. We did get an email this week from Ben Coberly, a friend of mine, and we love hearing from you guys. Ben wrote to us with some additional thoughts on our discussion regarding episode one of Luke Cage, and here's what he had to say. Listen to your podcast on Luke Cage this morning. I really enjoyed it. I think on the spiritual content, you missed out on one. You address it later, but it could, in my opinion, be considered spiritual as well. It's the inherent existence of evil in the world. In setting up the stage for the villains, they set up two, maybe three, different kinds of villains. One, the one who is pure evil. This is a Cottonmouth or a Cornell Stokes. Two, the one who is trying to do good, but in an evil way. Mariah Stokes, and possibly three, the one who's doing evil by doing nothing at all when he can help. I think two and three would become more beneficial to explore, and being on episode five, I think that three is where they're headed. That being Luke encompasses number three and has to make decisions regarding that. When you talk about systemic racism, I think two and three are right on, and that's what The Wire was sort of about as well. People want to make their neighborhood grow and be good and safe, etc. But maybe they've only been taught one way to make that happen. And I think that the Black Lives Matter movement, number three rings true because I see a lot of my friends saying that if you're silent on the issue, you're just as bad as someone who slams it. Anyway, I could probably go into a lot more depth, but I'm getting rambly. Yes, I just made that up. So that's Ben's email. Ben, thank you so much for the insight. You are absolutely right. The problem of evil is a spiritual one, and I'm glad you brought it up. I'm interested to see where they go with those three things as well, and I think it's a solid setup for a good story. So I'm excited where, where they're, with where they're going with it. Um, so thank you for writing in. Uh, if you want to write in, just like Ben did, please send us an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com, and I would be happy to read it on this program. I'm going to miss things, or I'm going to have a perspective that is biased or skewed. And so when we have you guys write in like that, um, it really means a lot to us, and we get to express some of um, your viewpoints on the matter as well, which is great. Now with that, let's dive into episode three. Um, as always, I'm going to start with my subjective thoughts on this episode. Um, first and foremost, my scale of one to ten rating is unfortunately only a six. Um, I thought episode three was okay, but I don't think it brought anything extraordinary to the table. Uh, there were a couple of cool scenes, and I like how the crooked cop angle was revealed. Um, I wasn't expecting that, so that was kind of a surprise for me. Uh, the action sequences where Luke breaks into the stash houses were a little lackluster for me. Uh, I thought those sequences could have been a little more exciting, 
and it never really felt like Luke was in danger. So the tension in those scenes was pretty low, at least for me. And I think Netflix has done a phenomenal job with some of the fight scenes in the past. And so I'm thinking of like, there's the Dare, there's a couple of scenes in Daredevil seasons one and season two that are just extraordinary. And so I have a pretty high standard for what I'm looking for. Um, but I, again, I thought it was a six out of 10. It's still definitely worth watching. Um, and I'm looking forward to see where it goes. The first more in-depth topic I wanted to address was the concept of responsibility versus blame. In the beginning of the episode, we have uh, Luke blaming Cottonmouth, Cottonmouth blaming Tone, Luke blaming Chico, Chico blaming Cottonmouth, and even to a certain extent, he's blaming Luke. They're all they're all talking about why who's responsible for for Pop's death, and they're sort of all blaming each other. And pretty much everyone is suggesting that Pop's death isn't their fault, that they're not complicit in his murder. And obviously, of all people, Luke certainly has the right to blame the others, but I think blame is a tricky thing, because blame takes our own power and influence out of the equation. It always has bothered me when a leader blames his or her followers. And to a certain extent, like, aren't we all to blame? Like, aren't, aren't we all complicit in some of the ways that things turn out? Um, and that's not always the case, but uh, couldn't we have always done something else to try and contribute? So, of course, some are more at fault than others, and certainly Cornell is more at fault than, um, than Luke, for example. But I think the true heroes in a situation can stand up and say, I'm at least partially responsible for this. And as Ben pointed out in his email, Luke is still on the hero's journey, and I think this is a key learning point for him. Could he have prevented this from happening? Maybe, maybe not. But he can still make an effort to begin to influence his community and the world at large more directly. That shift in thinking can take us out of a victim mentality, where we're blaming other people for our situation, and put us back into control of our own actions. So I'm looking forward to seeing Luke continue to develop in that direction. And obviously in this episode, he does develop in that direction. He's sort of blaming other people, but then he says, well, I've still got to make it right. And that's what Pop always said, right? I mean, this is what Pop has always preached, move forward. And it's hard to do that when you're still trying to find someone to blame and you're not taking responsibility for your own actions. So I thought that was an interesting topic to cover is just this, this responsibility versus blame. And obviously we need to know where the problems are so that we can address the problems. But uh, blame doesn't get us very far. We have to switch into a problem-solving mode and become part of the solution as opposed to uh, somebody who's off to the side just blaming other people. But I'll stop there. What do you think? Who deserves the blame in this situation? Who doesn't deserve the blame in this situation? Is it even worthwhile to consider that? Or perhaps uh, some better questions are what would happen if all the parties in this particular situation took responsibility for their actions. So what if Luke Cage took responsibility for his lack of action? What if Chico took responsibility for what he had done? And what if Cottonmouth or Cornell decided to actually take um, responsibility for the actions of Tone? We'd completely change the scenario and they can actually work together as opposed to um, setting it up so they worked uh, apart or opposed to one another. 
This, this episode also brings Luke out from hiding, so to speak, as he takes on the stash houses. And this is pretty interesting because essentially Luke is trying to start a turf war. I was a little surprised by that. Um, I'm not sure what angle he's working here just yet, but he's pitting Domingo against Cornell Stokes. Um, to what end? I don't know. I'm not sure. But it did make me wonder if what he's doing is okay. Getting Chico to testify makes all the sense in the world. That's following, it's, it's abiding by the law, if you will. And it's not creating violent retaliation. One could argue that Domingo and his cronies and Cornell Stokes and his cronies deserve to go toe-to-toe, but certainly that sort of violence has to spill out into innocent lives. So that angle uh, mystified me a little bit, that, that um, what he's trying to do, he's trying to set up this situation where the two... Um, criminal organizations go toe-to-toe. And it it shifts us into another really important topic that the show brings up, and that being um, vigilanteism. And is Luke Cage a vigilante? And is it okay to be a vigilante? Uh, Obviously, we hear Misty, the detective. uh, She's, you know, she's a rule follower. She plays by the rules. She's not okay with Luke's actions. But her partner, Raphael, is totally fine with it and thinks that it's actually a good thing. Where's the truth? I'm not sure. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I, I was reminded of a documentary called Cartel Land. If you haven't seen it, I do recommend it, but it's pretty brutal. Um, in Cartel Land, the citizens of several cities in Mexico decide to take the law back into their own hands in order to push the cartels and the cartel violence out of their cities. But in order to do that, they have to resort to creating their own law of the land. There's one scene where some of the citizens let a suspected cartel member go, let him leave. They let him live and let him go on. They just give him a warning and say, don't come back here. But when that happens, the leader of this citizens group reprimands them and tells them that they should have killed this guy. He, he says, you know, I've seen this happen a million times. We let the cartel people go. We let them off the hook. And what do they do? They come back and they kill the citizens that stood up to them. So at first, you're rooting for these citizens because they're doing a good thing. They're, they're, they're starting to fight these cartels. They're t- starting to, in, a, in an area where the police system, the policing system, is um, very corrupt and is actually helping the organized crime, these citizens are saying, no, in these small towns that we live in, we're going to take them back and we're going to push the cartels out, regardless of what the police are doing. However, you pretty quickly realize that their methods are brutal. They truly are real-life vigilantes. So my question to you is, where do you stand, and what do you think of Luke's actions? How different are Luke's actions from Mariah Stokes' actions, right? Because she's going um, and and she's um, working with Cornell. She's funding Cornell in order to turn the city around. So where do these strategies and tactics cross the line, and does the end justify the means? Um, you know, I, I'm going to tend to agree with Detective Misty Knight, but I also understand that the difficulty in making sweeping change become a reality um, when it comes to organized crime. You're stuck in this in this really tough place. So I don't have uh, I don't have all the answers um, certainly, but it's a tough it's a tough thing to to 
to kind of discuss. So think about that for a second. Is Luke doing the right thing by pitting these two organizations against each other? And I think we'll have to see as the season plays itself out. A couple more things I wanted to bring up just real quick. Um, I really liked Mariah's line uh, where she says, it has got to be a fantasy before it becomes a reality. I think that that's very true. Obviously, I don't agree with her methods for making impactful change, but in this regard, in this statement, in this specific statement, I think she's right on. We have to believe we could be in a better place in order to truly begin to see change happen. If we don't believe that we can make that change happen, then we will still be stuck in the reality that we have. So I think that her statement, it has got to be a fantasy before it becomes a reality, is a truth. And I think that... Um, I think we can consider that as we live our lives. The other thing I wanted to talk about was the impact of uh, vigilantism is beginning to be seen in the relationship between Mariah and Cornell, right? So uh, this episode takes a pretty big hit. Their, their relationship takes a pretty big hit. And this is where uh, the question of, you know, shall we do evil that good may come starts to play a role. The show, in this regard, does a good job of recognizing the impact of doing evil. Mariah is engaging in things that are against the law. She's engaging in things that are inherently bad because, you know, Cornell is utilizing violence and weapon, like underground weapons trading to make money. Um, and this has an impact for Mariah. And I think that that's being showcased now as the fallout between them happens near the end of the episode. And I thought that that was a really cool um, counterbalance to where Luke is going. So we're looking at Luke and we're going, hey, you're using some questionable methods, but how is it going to turn out? We see how some of Mariah's questionable methods turn out. And this is the real question we're playing with is what methodologies can we use to impact um, our communities and what will have a negative impact versus a positive impact. And this really brings uh, me to the final topic for this episode. And this one may be the most controversial of all. Uh, it's definitely the most philosophical question that I'm going to ask you in this episode. Many of the people in Luke Cage, in this episode, in this community, continue to call Pop a good man. And he certainly has aspects of him that are very good. And we see those things in him in the first couple episodes. But it did get me thinking, uh, what does it mean to be a good man? So I'm not going to try and get too preachy here at all. But I, I did want to take a passage out of the Bible because it came to mind as it related to spirituality. Essentially, all of the major world religions that I am personally familiar with have a standard for good right? They have a moral code associated to them. And that standard varies according to the religion. Although there are shared moral standards that do arise in many of the world religions, but it tends to be slightly different depending on the world religion you're looking at at the time. Um, so, but the reason I referenced the Bible passage, as opposed to some of the other books we could have referenced, is because there's an interesting um, section of a passage that tackles this very subject and sets an impossible standard. So bear with me here for a moment. Um, in the book of Matthew, so if you're looking at the Bible, that's one of the first books of the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels. In, the, in that book, um, a rich young person, a guy, a rich young guy, who respects Jesus as a leader, 
So he, he, he comes to Jesus as a leader and asks him what good thing he must do to inherit eternal life. Okay, So he's looking for the big picture here. He's looking for what do I got to do? What can I as a human being do? To, what good things can I do? And then have a benefit once I transition into the next life or gain eternal life. And Jesus's response is pretty staggering because Jesus responds with, there is only one who is good. And then the passage goes on, and it's a very interesting passage. I suggest you read it. Um, but I want to stop there because I've been reflecting on this a lot lately. So it brings up a lot of questions for me because in Jesus's response, he says there's only one who's good. He's basically referring to himself. So this begs the question, I think, begs some very interesting questions from a spiritual perspective. And you can take whatever other book um, you adhere to as your spiritual guidance and ask these same questions. I think they're valid questions regardless of the book you're picking up. The first one is, is Pop good? Is this character known as Pop good? The second question is, are you good? The third question is, am I good, right? So look around you and say, who's good, who's not good? On this podcast, we talk a lot about spirituality. And I think when we have a moral standard, this is just my own perspective, it's almost impossible to live up to that moral standard. So, you know, I have a fairly high moral standard, I, I like to think. However, I, I don't adhere to that moral standard um, even on a daily basis. So, we like to think that there are heroes and villains in the world, right? And that's what this rich young guy who approaches Jesus is trying to indicate. I like to be a hero. I like to do good things because I want to inherit eternal life. And I believe that doing good things, it has a direct correlation to me attaining eternal life, essentially, right? So what he's basically saying is, I like to be a hero. Um, I think, though, that if we really are to analyze the ourselves and our closest friends, we actually get a, a chance to see that heroes and villains exist in every person. We all have the ability to be heroes and villains, and honestly, we end up being both because we can't, don't even live up to our own moral standards. Uh, we have biases, we have things that we do that are not perfect, we do things that are incorrect or bad consistently. So we certainly have the capacity to be both heroes, and I'm not suggesting we don't do good things, of course people do good things, but we also do bad things. So my questions for you, and there's quite a few of them here, as I close out this podcast are, was Pop good? Are you good? Who else do you know that's quote unquote good? And how would you even begin to define good in the first place? What qualifies as good? And finally, can everyone live up to the standard that we set? Is that even possible? So a lot of heavy questions that I'm laying on you at the end of this episode, but I think Luke Cage actually brought those questions to the forefront, which is fantastic. I love that we can get into this kind of depth watching a TV show, and I think that this TV show is fantastic. So that part's really cool. So with that, I will close out this podcast. I've asked some fairly intense questions in this episode, and I would love to hear your responses. So please write us an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com and let us know. Let us know what you think. Let us know how you'd answer these questions and I will read them on the next podcast that uh, I record. 
Also, do not forget to subscribe. We have some really cool upcoming topics like our Stranger Things series. We have Captain America Civil War. We have the controversial Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. I'll, we're specifically going to talk about the Ultimate Edition. So please subscribe. Please give us your feedback. You may, you know, I, I reference the Bible. You may be able to reference another book, another book that tackles spirituality that you'd like, that you think brings a really powerful um, component to this discussion. Awesome. I'd love to hear that. Um, also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, and Twitter. And like I said in the beginning, please consider donating to the Reclamation Society and help us make this podcast, help us develop some of our own original works. Um, you can do that when you give, and you can give at www.reclamationsociety.org slash give. Remember that it is tax deductible, so at the end of the year, that is a great time to give because you can get that tax benefit um, next year when you do your taxes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, question everything in the stories that you read, watch, and listen to, and go and seek the truth.